Welcome to This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. I'm Colleen Mitchell, and I've had type 1 diabetes for over 24 years. By day, I'm a process analyst in the power industry, and by night, I'm a writer, podcast host, and accountability coach. I'm passionate about type 1 diabetes education and showing others that this disease doesn't define me. I'm Jesse Tuggy, and I've had type 1 diabetes for about eight years now. I love hiking and painting, and I'm looking forward to working as an engineer after college. My diagnosis has inspired me to take control of my future and learn everything I can about it. Each week on the show, we'll talk about real life with type 1 diabetes, bring on cool people with connections to type 1, and above all, encourage you to understand that this disease doesn't have to hold you back. This isn't medical advice. This is life with type 1. Welcome to episode 49 of This is Type 1, real life type 1 diabetes with your hosts, Colleen and Jesse. Today, I'm talking with Kristen Roth, a coach for parents of newly diagnosed type 1 diabetics. Her program, T1D Caregiver Kickstart, guides and supports parents who are struggling with their child's diagnosis and wading through the fear, trying to figure it all out by themselves. Kristen's goal with T1D Caregiver Kickstart is to help parents of newly diagnosed type 1 diabetic children bridge the gap from that diagnosis day to being a confident caregiver. A quick reminder for our audience, if you have any questions about type 1 diabetes or about the show, please leave us a comment or send an email to colleen at inspiredforward.com. We answer listener questions in future episodes. I'm taking both the win and the fail this week since Jesse is out today. My win is that my last A1C was 5.4%. This makes just, I think, under two years with my A1C consistently staying at or below 5.9. And this is a big accomplishment compared to my A1Cs between 2002 and 2017. My fail is that there are still some days where my blood sugar will rise for seemingly no reason, especially in the morning. And I know that this morning rise is called dawn phenomenon, and I'm still kind of dialing in slash guessing what to bolus before I unhook for the shower, since no matter what, it always goes up. And this is something a little bit new with Control IQ because it reduces my basal as it predicts that I'm going to go low. And so I'm thinking that the longer it's at that reduced basal in the morning, the less likely it will be to uh, stay low as I get off the pump and then into the shower. Even this morning, I was riding the, the line at 88 and I did not give anything before I got in the shower. But then after I got out, it was... 97 going up. And so I gave 0.3 units and that leveled it off very nicely. It's interesting that just 30 minutes off the pump can trigger that relatively quick rise. The hack this week, if you're on a tandem T-slim pump like I am, and you find that it doesn't complete boluses or even extended boluses, try giving the bolus with the pump placed away from your body. Now I keep my pump in my bra and if it doesn't finish a delivery, I'll just give the rest of the insulin with the pump on the desk or in my lap. I think the electronics of the pump don't like being against the skin or next to the body, and that can trigger a failed bolus or a no delivery alarm. All right, let's dive into the interview with Kristen Roth. All right, welcome to the show. It's nice to have you on, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me this morning. So we're just going to dive right in. First question we ask everyone is, so give us the rundown of who you are and the role that diabetes plays in your life. So my name's Kristen Roth. I'm a married mom of three kiddos, two boys and a girl. And my boys are 14 and 15 years old, and they both have type 1 diabetes. And Kyla is 11, and she does not have T1D. Our middle child, Sutton, was first to be diagnosed right after he turned 10 years old. 
And so we've been living this type one family lifestyle for coming up on five years now. Nice. Give us the story of actually both of your son's diagnoses since you mentioned that both of them have it. And yeah. did, did you know anything about diabetes beforehand, any family history? I did not know anything about type 1 diabetes beforehand. And we used to always say, there's no family history of type 1 diabetes. And then I would say a couple months after our first son was diagnosed, we realized that Sutton, our middle child, who was first to be diagnosed, his great-great-grandmother had what at the time they just called diabetes, but it must have been type 1 diabetes because she was on insulin and my grandmother, so Sutton's great-grandmother, she had to drop out of school in eighth grade because no one else was able to give the grandma the insulin injection. So my grandma would tell us the story of boiling the syringes on the stove and using the pig insulin. And at the time they lived in Green Bay, Wisconsin. And my grandma would always say, we were very fortunate that we could afford to have the refrigerated truck bring the pig insulin every week from Milwaukee. So we have that story and none of us really remembered it. And all of a sudden we thought how crazy that there was that little genetic seed, but in all the generations since there has not been a single type one diabetic person. Until Sutton. And what's your other son's name? Is Mason. Mason. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess until then. Yep. So it's still there. It's still embedded in our DNA, I guess. So Sutton was diagnosed right before Christmas, 2015. He suddenly out of nowhere wet the bed two nights in a row, and it was really unusual. We were planning on going to Wisconsin to visit my family over Christmas holidays. And my first thought when he wet the bed for a second night was, I can't believe you are wetting the bed at 10 years old, and I cannot possibly take you to my parents' house and have you wetting the bed when we're there. So I called his pediatrician thinking maybe he had a urinary tract infection or some type of kidney issue. And luckily they told me that they could squeeze him in first thing that morning. So if we could just rush there, the doctor could see him right away. So the blessing in that was that Sutton did not eat breakfast before we left the house. When we arrived, they did a urine test and everything was crystal clear. They said no sign of UTI or anything like that. And so then they tested his blood sugar. And because we left the house so quickly, it was a fasting blood sugar. And his number came back as 202. So not dangerously high, but definitely pointed to type 1 diabetes. And they sent us straight to UC Davis Children's Hospital. And that was the very beginning of our experience with type 1. So then as a result of Sutton being diagnosed, we chose to participate in trial net testing, which is a clinical trial that tests family members under the age of 45 for antibodies to T1D. And my husband was a year too old to be tested, but both myself and our daughter did the test and we tested positive. But then at that point, Mason was tested, who's our oldest son, and he tested positive for three type 1 antibodies. Wait, so you and your daughter both tested positive? No, we both tested negative. Oh, okay. So you said positive. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, we, we both tested, Kyla and I both tested negative. But then Mason's results came back and he tested positive for three type 1 antibodies. Okay. So as a result, Mason was invited to participate in a subsequent clinical trial where they would do glucose tolerance testing every six months. And he participated in that trial for 18 months. And then we noticed the trend during that whole time that his glucose tolerance was decreasing. 
And after the third test, Mason was dismissed from the clinical trial because he was officially considered type 1 diabetic based on his results. So what is the, the, what did the trial, what was that intended to do if he was kicked out because he developed type 1? Because they're looking for like how long it takes from the point at which you can identify that antibodies exist to becoming type 1 diabetic. So that first phase of the trial is simply to see, do some people exist for years and years and years with antibodies and never develop type 1? Or if once they start developing antibodies, is there a certain, like I'll say fixed amount of time or a suspected amount of time that they can predict type 1 will you know, develop and someone will become insulin resistant? So that was the purpose of that first phase of the trial. Okay. And then it really wasn't a second phase. It was more of a, a different trial, but still under the umbrella of trial nut where they would do glucose tolerance testing. And so Mason would go in for five hours at a time. And if any listeners have ever done the oral glucose tolerance test that you do when you're pregnant, it was very similar to that. You drink the jug of super high carb liquid. And then over the course of the following four hours, they test your blood sugar every 30 minutes and see how quickly your body is able to bring your blood glucose down. And over the three times that Mason participated, every time his numbers just got a little bit, I'll say worse, showing that his glucose tolerance was decreasing. And then at that point, he, I think at the very last one, after three hours, his blood sugar was still 184. And at that point, they said, you are now insulin dependent. So although he was like labeled insulin dependent, the endocrinologist who was overseeing the study at that time, he said, I'm not going to start you on insulin right now because his A1C at that point was still 5.5. So we knew he was not staying long, long periods of time at dangerously high numbers. But the protocol that we put in place was to just test his blood sugar with a finger stick one or two times a day. And we did that for 10 months before we noticed that his numbers were just creeping up and we were seeing numbers just a little bit higher and that made me a little bit uncomfortable. So we went back to the doctor and then we saw that his A1C, I believe it had increased increased to 6.2. And at that point we decided it's time to start some insulin. And the crazy thing is that that was in March of, it was March 19th. 2019. And so we're just a little over a year and he still is only on long acting insulin. He only takes eight units of Traceba every night. And so I feel that that's because he was diagnosed so early and we've been really good to his body and supplementing, you know, what his pancreas is still able to make in the form of insulin with some synthetic insulin. And that's just allowing maybe his pancreas to hang in there just a little bit longer with a little bit of support. Yeah, you're basically extending his honeymoon period. Yes, exactly. Myself and my husband went to a JDRF event at a zoo near where we live a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. And one of the speakers was talking about a new drug called triplizumab. And it was, I think, designed to extend the honeymoon period almost indefinitely. And that just sounded so cool. Totally. (laughs) The earlier you identify it, and if you get this thing, maybe that's kind of a cure. Amazing. I'd love to hear more about that for sure. Yeah. So how, um, what's his A1C now? Right now his A1C is 5.8. That's incredible for someone that young. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tracked all of my A1Cs through uh, to think 2002 onward. 
Mm-hmm. And I was never that good. <laughs> so props well, to him. Yeah. Well, the, and the beauty of the honeymoon. So definitely yes, helps him yes. out. Yeah. So what are your favorite and your least favorite things about type one diabetes? So I love that you asked what my favorite things are because so often we look at only the negative pieces and the fear and paranoia and anxiety that accompany this disease. But truly, I truly believe that there are some good things if you look for them. And I never, ever would have chosen this reality of living with type one for either of our boys. But I can tell you that sometimes I see it as a protective shield. I know they both understand the seriousness of it and the complexity of it. And I think they always think twice about decisions they make and if they are making choices that are safe and healthy. And I also love that they surround themselves with friends that truly support them. There are teenage boys and there's lots of smack talk and feeling invincible, but I also see them, these friends, as having my boys back. And they understand the seriousness of type one. And I think it's just truly a gift to my boys to have friends that care so much and are so genuine with them. I would say my least favorite thing would be the struggle between wanting to control their diabetes and wanting to manage their diabetes. I always say controlling is exhausting and a fight and feels very much like me versus diabetes. And then it becomes me versus one of my sons. And I don't want that to happen. And managing diabetes is more like a dance. The pace varies and there are good parts and there are bad parts and there are some parts that you're really good at. And there's some parts where you just follow along and roll with the punches. And I'm really, really trying hard to be more of a manager and less of a controller. And I'm really being conscious of trying to guide the boys to be just independent, confident type one adults, because that's my job. This isn't my disease and it's not about me. It's just my job to help them be successful and care well for themselves the rest of their lives. You mentioned that Mason is on just the long-acting Trusiba, right? That's the only thing he takes? Yes, correct. What does uh, Sutton take? So how does he control his diabetes? Sutton, he's on an insulin pump. He uses T-Slim X2 with Control IQ that ties in with his Dexcom, and that's his choice. And so he uses Humalog insulin, and he's flip-flop depending on insurance between Humalog and Novalog. And we personally have not seen any difference, but right now he's, for the last year or so, he's been on Humalog that he puts in his pump. I was on Humalog for 20 years before I did the whole insurance switch thing. And Uh Novalog actually works better for me. Really? Really? Interesting. Yeah. So besides the insulin, I guess, how, what diet have you found works best for controlling that part of it? I would say when we first started, we definitely were leaning low carb, but as the boys, especially Sutton, since he's been on this walk longer, as he grew up and was becoming more independent and spending more time at friends' houses and things like that, I really saw him eating, I wouldn't say the standard American diet, but it was definitely harder to hang out with friends and be so regimented about being low carb. So what I found is I personally eat whole food plant-based. I'm vegan, but my family is not strictly vegan. But because of the way I eat, there is tons of fruits and vegetables around our house. And so I find that really the boys eat quite high carb, low fat. And there is a new book out there called Mastering Diabetes, and I have read it. And once I read that book, I discussed with Sutton trying that protocol. And it is truly whole food, plant-based, 
high carb, low fat. And Sutton did it for about a month and his insulin sensitivity went through the roof. He is 14 years old, lots of hormones, lots of growing, and his carb ratio was one unit for every four carbs. And after doing this for, I mean, within a couple of days, we just saw his insulin sensitivity increase, increase, increase. We never had dangerous lows, but we could just tell he was dipping low all the time. And after doing it for about two weeks, his insulin sensitivity was, he was using one unit for every 15 carbs and then maintain, maintain that for a good month. And then he kind of like dwindled, you know, I'll say fell away from that plan and being quite as regimented. But now he really hangs around between one to 10 and one to 12 by just really consciously staying away from high fat foods. It's really interesting because I've found that low carb works amazing for me after yes. so many years of high carb. Mm-hmm. So I'm I would be interested to find out after he goes through uh, puberty and becomes more of an adult if that actually changes for him. Right. It'll be interesting to see. So right now, I just really find that as a mom of teenagers, the more I push, the more they push back. So I just try to guide and suggest. And like I said, when I read that book, I really just shared the information with Sutton and said, hey, would you be open to trying this? And we really did it as a team. I was super supportive. I prepared way more food for him. You know, Usually lunches are kind of grab and go, and I would prepare something and tell him the carb count and really made it user-friendly. And he was up for that. And so there wasn't any pushback, and I think he saw the benefits of it. And that's why he still is very conscious about when he is, might be, I'll say, tempted by something that's really high fat. He knows what that's going to do for his insulin absorption and his digestion, and he can make that decision whether it's worth it or not. So it was a really good learning lesson and experience for both of us. Something that we ask all of our guests is, what does burnout mean to you? And usually we're talking to type 1 diabetic guests, but since you're a parent, what does burnout mean to you as a parent? And then what does it mean to your son? As a parent, burnout, I really was thinking about this. It means that I feel angry a lot. When I feel burnout, I feel anger at the medical bill, medical bills and at the Dexcom alarms and at being on hold trying to order insulin pump supplies. And I feel angry when there's an issue with an insulin prescription being filled properly or when I tell my son a carb count to pre-dose and then he doesn't pre-dose. And I feel sorry for myself, like I'm doing everything I can. Why is this frustrating at every turn? And then I think I'm not even the type one diabetic. And then I realize how like the anger has just like infiltrated my life. And that's what happens when I'm feeling burnout. And when the boys are feeling burnout, especially Sutton, who's been on this longer and has a more challenging time just because he really, you know, he's on the pump. He isn't only taking one injection a day. For him, burnout means ignoring the alerts on his insulin pump, ignoring the Dexcom alerts, forgetting to pre-dose, not carrying his backup supplies with him. Once he told me that he feels he will get back at diabetes when he's feeling burnt out. Like his pump will say he has 25 units left and you know, you never get those last like 10 units or a few units that are in there. But he's like, I don't care. I'm just not going to change my site. And like diabetes can like eat it because like, I'm going to get back at you, you know, like I'm just not going to change my pump. And then he'll wake up the next morning with like zero units left in his pump and (laughs) he'll be sky high. and And then he realizes he paid the price and like diabetes doesn't really care. 
but that's his behavior, I'll say, and what his thinking when he's feeling just overwhelmed and burnt out. It's so funny you say that because I just changed my set. I'm also on uh-huh. a tandem T-Slim with control IQ. Yeah. And I got it down to eight units. Really? I did. <laughs> I, I have occasionally gotten it down to four, but that's uh-huh. that's the, the moment where the pump uh, will actually tell you to change your set or it will stop delivering insulin. Right, right. I've gotten it down to four and I got it down to eight today, but I was, yeah. that was why I was chuckling because <laughs> I knew that yeah. too. So or what do you do that helps you manage or get out of the burnout for you, which is anger? The best thing I've realized is that when I'm feeling burnt out, it's because I've been neglecting my own self-care. So I really come back to prioritizing that and I've made it a non-negotiable. I, I always say like, I can't give from an empty cup And I can't even give from a full cup. I can only give when I am overflowing. Like that overflowing cup, the overflowing like within myself is what makes me able to give freely and happily and without any like negative feelings. So I do my best to stay just like overflowing, like filled up for myself, but then overflowing so that I can give to others. And In the past year, I've really dialed in this self-care. And the biggest piece of that is my morning routine. I haven't, my morning routine does not take a long time. I would say 30 to 40 minutes at the most. And I get up just like 15 minutes earlier than I used to, but it gives me that time to get into the routine of, I mean, I just do some kind of simple movement like stretching and I'll do, I do like a little tiny five minute devotion on my phone and I do some journaling where I set some intentions for my day. And it's just like, a, and then usually a meditation. And sometimes that meditation, I'll even just go on like a 10 or 15 minute walk and do a walking meditation with my Headspace app. And it's just things that really fill me up and make me feel positive. And I think more than anything, it's just like a gift to myself each morning and starting my day out with, with that like positive energy and like thinking about myself first. So often as a mom, I don't do that. I put everybody else first and it just really starts my day out on the right foot. And when I do that, you know, just, just even a few days of prioritizing that, I feel the burnout start to fade away and I can approach that phone call about insulin not being covered properly by insurance with just, this is what it is attitude instead of feeling anger and letting it, you know, build up. So definitely prioritizing my self-care is a big deal. (laughs) What helps your son with burnout? I think as much as Sometimes he just thinks that by like ignoring everything, it's going to disappear. He knows it's not going to. And sometimes when he's feeling burnt out, I'll, as much as I want him to dial in, you know, those numbers, I'll say, let's change your Dexcom alerts, your, you know, acceptable range. And let's just widen those numbers for a week or two so that there's less alarms, less alerts. And that definitely seems to help. The other thing is, Sometimes I tell him, you just need to tell me when you need some help. So I think reaching out and asking for help. And for, in our case, it's just him saying, Hey mom, can you just do this for me? Like how many carbs? Like typically he's a great carb counter, but I'll just add it up and and tell him, or I will clean up the mess after he's changed his Dexcom or I'll pre-bag all of the pieces that he needs to do a site change just so he can grab and go and do it easily. And just kind of making some systems a little bit more efficient and easy for him. And then sometimes he'll just say, I need you to back off a little bit because I'll be saying, how much insulin do you have on board? Or did you remember to pre-dose? Or what's your number? Or 
why don't I have any Dexcom data? And I'm always, everything that I'm speaking to him about is diabetes related. And he becomes more of like my type one diabetic kid instead of just my kid. And sometimes he's said to me, you just need to back off for a day or two. And that's kind of just like our code. And he's 14. And the first time or two, he said it, he was almost scared to tell me. And I'm like, okay, here's the deal. That's our code. Like when you feel like I'm doing that, I'm trying to support you and I'm trying to help, but it's really not helping. So it's kind of them just really communicating. And as a like mom of a teen son, we've kind of created that system of, I think the two biggest things are him letting me know when I'm getting a little bit overwhelming and I'm contributing to the burnout when I feel like I should be helping, but also him widening because he's on Dexcom and those alerts can get a little bit much at times, just widening that range for a week or two and knowing that in the long term for his mental health, that's just more valuable. What are some major changes you've seen with diabetes over the past five years that you've lived with these diagnoses? So yeah, although sometimes it feels like we've been living this reality for decades, it's we're just coming up on five years. So it really hasn't been that long. But the advancement in the independence that Dexcom and the integration with continuous glucose monitors and pumps and just the freedom that allows my boys to have is just absolutely amazing. It removes some of the possibility for human error and allows like our calculations now to be so precise that I just, I can see the improvement in especially Sutton's A1C because he was, when he was diagnosed, he was 9.6. And then he hung out in the sevens for a little bit. And now like with the pump and the CGM and just everything we've learned and all the technology that we've integrated into his care, like he's, you know, he's down to, I think most recently he was 6.5, but he's a like I said, hormonal growing 14-year-old. So I'm pretty proud of him for that. I always tell people that those little vials of insulin, they hold so much power. And that just like one little drip on the end of a, a syringe, when you see it, like when you realize if that little drop was inside your body, how much of a change it can make, it's just really amazing. And as parents and as type 1 diabetics, like they hand us these vials and we're given all this power. And I see it as a, like it offers us so much freedom, but it also has so much responsibility. And what I think that all that's changed and advanced since December 22nd, 2015, which is Sutton's diagnosis date, I just, I have hope that in the next few years, we're going to continue to see more growth and change and advancement and that managing type one will just become even more automated and just result in even better managed blood sugars with just a, you know, a little bit less work and a little bit less thought, and it'll just make life even more fluid and easy and enjoyable for all those who are type 1 diabetic. That would be the dream. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Knowing what you know now, do you wish you've, you'd done anything different the first year or two of diagnosis? Not a lot. I think we're writing our story, and I'm, I'm really very happy. I always say that a good story ebbs and flows, and it has hit its surprises and it has its high points and its low points. And I think that's the epitome of what ours has been. And I talked to Sutton about this and he said he wished he would have gotten an insulin pump sooner. And his reasoning for that was, he said, two and a half feet of, of pump tubing is it's worth having four or more shots a day. And I think he thought it was going to be a really big deal. And I think it is a big deal but he said it was totally worth it and he wished he would have made that decision sooner. 
But I think letting him make that decision on his own and not forcing him to get a pump was like the best thing that we could have done. Do you have any favorite or cherished memories about life with type one? I definitely have a favorite memory and it's the most empowering, best memory ever. So it's when Sutton went back to school right after being diagnosed. So like I said, he was diagnosed December 15th. So it was like just a day or two into the Christmas holiday break from school. And he went back to school and a little after a little bit past a week of him being back in school, he realized that all of his classmates were wondering, why is he going to the nurse's office all the time? Why is he always going into the back of the classroom, standing at the counter and pulling out that little black pouch and poking his finger? Like what's going on there? And no one really understood, but no one really wanted to ask questions. And it was making him feel really isolated. And so he decided he was going to tell his class what was going on. And he wanted the nurse to be there and he asked me to be there. So I went to his class at the determined time and he stood up in class and every single 10-year-old classmate was just quiet as a mouse. And he presented like a pro with so much understanding of what was going on, on inside of his little body that it totally amazed me. He answered questions. And I remember one little girl asking with tears in her eyes if he was going to die from type 1 diabetes. And he said, no, I won't die if I take good care of myself and I take my insulin and I always check my blood sugar. And that instant, I felt the energy change in the room. It was like every, every little heart in that room was just like, whoa, you know, like, They realized how serious it was and they were just like amazed that Sutton was going to be living with this. And to this day, the kids that were in his fifth grade class that year are his biggest supporters. All of those kids are going to be sophomores in high school this coming year and they've repeatedly come to his defense or had his back. The best story is that once a substitute teacher was reprimanding Sutton for eating a low snack in class and actually took his snack from him and took it up to the front of the room. And the kids, there were several kids in his class that year in middle school, and they had been in his fifth grade class when he told the story. And they were all like, he's type one diabetic. You can't take that from him. He needs that. He's low. He's going to, you know, he's going to pass out. (laughs) And they all came to his defense. And in the end, he, the teacher did end up giving him the snack back and letting him eat it in class. But I always say that type one, it doesn't define Mason or Sutton at all. They both are huge soccer players. They both snowboard on an Alpine race team. And those are the things when I think of, if someone said, who's Mason Roth, people would say, oh, he plays soccer on this team or who's Sutton. Oh, he races, you know, on the snowboard team or something like that. I don't think type one like defines who they are, but it's definitely like a big part of their story. I would be so pissed if a substitute teacher did that to me. <laughs> I know. I was, I, as a mama bear, ooh, the mama bear wanted to come out. And oh, actually what happened is the school nurse discovered that that happened and that substitute teacher has not been able to substitute at their school anymore. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did not go, I did not go to those lengths, but the school nurse was, you know, she's very serious about all of her type one students. And she was like, this is absolutely unacceptable. And this made me a little bit happy that she went to bat for Sutton in that way. Oh, yeah. So let's uh, shift gears a little bit and tell me about your type 1 diabetic caregiver kickstart program. 
So for the past year, I've just not been able to get this idea of a coaching or mentoring program for parents of newly diagnosed type 1 kiddos out of my head. I'd read posts on Facebook groups from these new parents and see their struggle and recognize how far I've come as a caregiver. And the most frustrating part in this is that although there's all these online groups that are valuable and really offer great advice at times, these newly diagnosed parents have to wade through so much fear and paranoia and worry in the stories that are also shared there that even if they post a question and they get multiple answers, they really don't know which one is the best because people have so many different ways of handling type 1 diabetes. And so my goal with T1D Caregiver Kickstart is to help parents of newly diagnosed T1 children kind of bridge that gap from their diagnosis day to becoming confident caregivers for their children. I always say like they don't need to read all the books and they don't need to Google articles on every single topic or join all the Facebook groups. And they don't need to buy every single gadget in an effort to like make it easier for their child or create their own systems for traveling or going back to school or participating in sports or activities or dealing, coming up with a system for the babysitter or helping the teacher understand. And sometimes, you know, they just want to know how to figure out how many carbs are in like their favorite casserole. And like, they're not going to call their endo to figure that out. They have to come up with some kind of system. And there are all the, these are all things that when you live with it day after day for all these years, you figure out. And if, if I was their mentor, they could, you know, shoot me a text or get on a quick phone call with me and I could walk them through it as someone who lives that same reality and just make it easier and truly make them feel like seen. I, I always say seen, heard and understood. Like that's what we all want just to like feel like we're not in it alone. And I think it can be really, really isolating. I know it can be really, really isolating being a new type one parent. And I just feel that this program is the program that I just dream would have been available for me when Sutton was first diagnosed. How long is your caregiver program? The program itself is eight solid weeks. So it's eight weeks of education where every week I'm sending out modules and education and they're meeting with me two times per week and we're going over their things that have come up with them in the last couple of days and we walk, apply the learning from that week and then I'm always there to answer their questions. And then beyond those first eight weeks, they get another month of just continual support. So where I check in with them multiple times a week as they implement things and questions come up and we want to streamline everything they just reach out and I'm just their one point of contact. So they're not getting a bunch of random answers. I know their situation. I know their child. I know the way their family functions. And I can give them, based on my years of experience, an answer that's tailored to their needs and their lifestyle. And they can really implement right away and feel confident that it's an answer that is going to guide them like in the right way. Do you um, inter interface with their endocrinologists as well, or is it just you and the parents? It's just me and the parents. And I do always let them know that I'm not giving medical advice. I, with type one, a lot of things, they kind of are, you know, they t I'll say toe the line. But although I'll give them my ad advice and my guidance, sometimes there are points where I'll say, this is what I would do, but this is worth a phone call to your diabetes nurse educator or your endocrinologist to run, you know, run past them. And I do have 
clients in the client agreement, there is a section where they're agreeing that they understand I am not giving, I am not a doctor. I am not an endocrinologist or a diabetes nurse educator. I'm just a mom who has lived this and has two boys who are thriving with T1D. So right now I do not interface with their endocrinologist. That's not to say that if there wasn't a situation and an endo was willing to jump on a quick phone call, like with both of us, that that could definitely be worked into the program. Awesome. How soon after diagnosis do you typically work with parents? Most of the parents I work with fall into two groups, either parents of really recently diagnosed children, or there's been several parents that I've worked with that have been walking this journey for four to six months, and they're just not feeling confident, and they're feeling really alone, and the burnout is setting in, and they are truthfully what they're feeling is, how in the world am I going to do this forever? And I'm only a couple months in. And those parents are also very much welcome in the program. And we just pick up where they are and figure out the things that they truly need support on to get out of that state of burnout. And they've found great success as well. Awesome. What can parents expect to get out of the program with you? So the beauty of the program is that it's a one-on-one program and it can be tailored exactly to each parent or family's needs. So there are five core pieces that I focus on with each parent. But like I said, in some instances, we may you know tweak it a little bit to make it fit exactly like where they're feeling, I'll say the weakest, where they need the most support. So we always start out with something that is going to like make a difference right away. And I call that systems in place. So it's all the little tips and tricks and life hacks that you learn over the years to make your life a little bit more efficient and not as stressful. So I give them all those ideas, especially things for in the kitchen or going out to dinner or when they start to hang out with friends or things if their child, say, is going to start going back to baseball practice, little things that they can implement right away so that they don't need to come up with something, you know, out of blue. Like they have something that is tried and tested and, you know, is a good place to start. And then next I call it insulin 101. And this segment is, there's a lot here, but it's really powerful. This segment covers everything that I always say they fail to teach you at diagnosis. And when you first go to those first few endo appointments, typically they teach you accurate carb count plus good insulin calculation equals nice, smooth blood glucose. And we know, you know, as a type one diabetic, that that is so far from the truth. So they just, they miss teaching you about fat and protein and how those things play a role in insulin absorption and your rate of digestion. They don't really teach you, you get maybe a quick handout on sick day protocol, but they don't teach you a lot about sickness or hormones or puberty, growth spurts. There's just so much to cover here. And that's what we focus on in that second module. And then third, I call it T1D Go. It's like, let's take this show on the road. Type 1 diabetes is not going to stop you from doing anything that you love or that your child loves. And here I cover returning to school. There's also a section where we talk about 504 plans. If you, How do you go into that meeting? Things that you want to ask for in that meeting, how to get what you're looking to add in that meeting. So if that's applicable to us, you know, if someone has an an infant or a toddler, maybe we just touch on that really briefly. But if someone has a middle school student, maybe we really dive a lot into that 504 segment. So that's where I like base it and really dial it into the client. But also we talk about traveling and sports or activities, whether 
someone's child is going to a day camp for the summer, or if they're going back to dance class or back to soccer practice, we talk about everything that they need to know for educating the coach or facilitator just enough and making sure their child has the right supplies and just systems and things that you can have in place to make sure your child is still independent and having fun and safe at the same time. And then fourth is self-care and relationships. And throughout the entire program, I really prioritize also taking care of the parent, whether it's the mom or dad, or even in one situation, I had a grandma who went through the program and really just saying, don't forget about yourself. You are so invaluable in that you're investing in a program to learn to be, be the very best caregiver for your child, but you also need to take really good care of yourself. So that umbrella of self-care exists through the whole program, but here is where we really, I say, dial it in and figure out what do they need, their morning routine or evening routine or some other piece that they put into their their life to be self-care, it can look different for each client. It doesn't have to be exactly what I do. So we figure out what that is and we really create something that they can put into their life regularly to avoid burnout because that is a long-term goal. And then lastly, we just look at their family as a whole. And over the previous eight weeks or so, we think what things have worked, where are there still some kinks, where should we smooth things out? And we identify those places and troubleshoot and then just look to the future and anything that the parents still want to learn about, that's when I really like focus on dialing in like their goals and what they want to learn about. So I leave a little space at the end for that. Where do you think that the program will like lead in the future? Do you have any future big plans for it? What do you think it'll turn into? I'm just hoping that as children get diagnosed and they show up in a doctor's office with unusually high blood sugar, or they end up at a children's hospital and are officially diagnosed that type one advocates out there or other type one parents point them towards my program. But my real goal is for the doctors, endocrinologists, diabetes nurse educators, the nurses that are working the floor when those kids are at children's hospital, that they say, hey, there is a program out there that could really, really benefit you and support you and launch you into this life of type one with so much confidence and you don't have to do this alone. And I really want to be just a resource out there that when people think newly diagnosed type one diabetic child, they think T1D caregiver kickstart. That is my ultimate goal. That sounds awesome. So I go to Panther Camp, which is a diabetes camp every year. Yes. And I know that there are so many new time T1D parents there and they could definitely use something like this. Oh, thanks. If there's one thing that you want the parents to take away from your program, what would that be? I think the one thing that I'd want them to take away from the program is that this doesn't need to slow them down. They can still go on their camping trips and travel to other countries and let their child go on a sleepover. And it doesn't need to hold them back. They just need to have systems in place to really make sure their child is safe. But at the same time, although it's a lot of responsibility on the parent, and depending on the child's age of diagnosis, the amount of responsibility that falls on parent versus child can be completely at different ends of the spectrum. But even if your child is diagnosed as a toddler, your goal from day one is to be creating a lifelong, independent, confident, type 1 diabetic adult. And yes, we're all hoping for a cure, of course. But 
we really, you always need to be thinking about that. And that really is always top of mind. As much as I want to do it all and be it all for my boys, I need to also be teaching them at the same time. And so if I'm not being a super confident caregiver, I'm not setting a good example for them of being a super confident type one adult. As we kind of wrap up our interview today, do you have any advice for the young diabetics out there? I would say be transparent with your type one. People are drawn to things that they understand and they hold back from things that they don't understand or are scared of. And type one doesn't have to define you, but it's a piece of you that makes you really, really special. And so you shouldn't be hiding it from the world at all. Are there any projects that you're working on that you're really excited about? That would be T1D Caregiver Kickstart for me. That is what I've been putting my heart and soul and all my hours of every day into. It's still pretty new. So I'm just really trying to spread awareness that this isn't something that you need to figure out on your own. People have coaches for all types of things. People have personal trainers and business coaches and mindset coaches, therapists to work on their well-being, parenting coaches, life coaching, financial coaches. This T1D Caregiver Kickstart, it just is really identifying a very small niche that's close to my heart. And I'm really hopeful and excited to help a lot more families with it. Great. And our final question is, where can people find you online? So online, I am on Facebook as Kristen Sonnabend Roth. And on Instagram, I'm on Kristen underscore Sonnabend underscore Roth. And it's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-I-N, Sonnabend is S-O-N-N-A-B-E-N-D and Roth, R-O-T-H. And then I have a website and you'll probably just link that in the show notes for me. Yes, we will. Thank you for coming on to talk to me today. That's been really great learning about your program. Well, thanks so much for having me. I just hope people listening might be able to, whether they don't, they need this program or not, maybe they'll hear somebody else who is recently diagnosed with type one and they can share it with them. It's just about spreading the word. Thank you so much for having me. Our question for the audience this week is, do you need a caregiver kickstart? Do you know a parent of a newly diagnosed type one diabetic child who could use a coach like Kristen? Reach out to her or send us an email and we'll get you in contact with her. That is it for this episode of This is Type One. Thank you so much to Kristen Roth for coming on as a guest to the show. You can find Kristen on Facebook as Kristen Sonnabend Roth, on Instagram at Kristen underscore Sonnabend underscore Roth. And her website is kristenroth.wixsite.com slash T1D caregiver. And you can find all these links in the show notes since it's probably a little bit of a mouthful. You can find the show notes at inspiredforward.com slash episode 49. It's the number 49. Is there someone you want us to interview for the podcast? Do you want to be a guest? Send us an email, a DM, or a Facebook message, and we'll see if we can make that happen. You can get straight to our podcast page by going to thisistype1.com. Our music is by Joseph McDade, and our audio wizard is my husband, Tim. This is the perfect time to learn how to manage your mind. If you're stressed, burned out, overwhelmed, and you want some help getting back on track and honoring your commitments to yourself, sign up for accountability coaching at inspiredforward.com coaching. I'm on all social media as at inspiredforward and our email is colleen at inspiredforward.com. Jesse's on Instagram as at jj underscore crystal kat. Please feel free to send her questions or comments about type 1 diabetes or about the show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, your family, those parents of newly diagnosed type 1 diabetics that you know can really benefit from listening to Kristen speak about her program. 
We'd also like you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts since that really helps other people find us. Be sure to listen in next week when we talk about things that you, as a type 1 diabetic, should learn or know before you go off to college. Remember, you control your diabetes. It doesn't control you. Hey, if you like what you're listening to on this podcast, you have to join us in the Half Dead Pancreas Club. It's my private community where you'll connect face-to-face with other people with type 1 diabetes, get personalized emotional support, and learn how to handle anything T1D throws at you. Join us over at inspiredforward.com community. I can't wait to see you there.